morning. Welcome to HR Tech Weekly. One step closer with Stacey Harris and John Subser. How are you, Stacey? I'm doing well, John. I'm doing well. We are uh, sitting in, well, at least I'm sitting in North Carolina. It's a bit chilly. We're at 34 degrees, which is a little bit chilly for North Carolina, but the sun is shining and I can't complain. And how about you? Are you home this week? I have been indoctrinated into Texas culture. I am now officially 5% Texan. (laughs) (laughs) The real question is, did you buy some cowboy boots, John? Well, we walked around the stockyards, which is Old Town, Fort Worth, and there was a place where you could buy a pair of boots for a 1000 bucks. and eight months after they figured out what size you were, they would send you the boots. But... (laughs) But in lieu of a new pair of boots, I had a great big plate full of chicken fried steak. There you go. That's the other half of what you got to have. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I'd never had chicken fried steak before. Never? And I got to tell you, it's surprising to me that there are any adults over 50 in Texas because the diet seems to be largely ar- artery clogging stuff. Yes. Very good artery clogging stuff, but yes, yeah. Chicken fried. I used to work in a restaurant that served chicken fried steak. It was it was the original restaurant was from the Texas area, and then it had franchised. And um, it was it's an experience to have chicken fried steak. Everyone should have it once in their life at least. <laughs> this place, this place we had chicken fried steak was supposed to be the chicken fried steak mothership. And so when you got the menu, all that was on the menu were ten different ways you could have chicken fried steak. <laughs> Really? Well, you are in Texas, the, then, the, yeah. The, yeah, the question wasn't, are you going to have chicken fried steak? The, the question was, what other things are you going to have on top of your chicken fried steak? <laughs> exactly. Because there are a plethora of sauces and gravies and hot sauces and sweet sauces and everything yes, that can go with a chicken fried steak when it's done oh. well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't order this, but, but the... Fellow who was sitting next to me at this dinner ordered one that had an egg on top of it, and the egg was first poached and then fried. And so, <laughs> well, you know, it couldn't have been on the thing if it wasn't fried. <laughs> it was fascinating. I'd never seen anything like it. Yeah. It's perhaps why. Oh, oh, and then this was this was Fort Worth. So in the stockyards in Fort Worth, they have a daily parade. They don't call it a parade. They call it the cattle stampede. I think. Of of longhorn cow longhorn cows. Wow, that that was a sight. Yeah, yeah, I, I, longhorn cattle are big. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and very dangerous they can be. Yes, yeah, you stay out of their way. <laughs> yep. So, what's in the mailbag? Oh, one other thing. Do you know that the last full moon of the decade is today? This morning at 12.12 a.m., so the last full moon of the decade was on December 12th at 12.12 a.m. or 12.12.12.12. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. There's some cosmic connection there, I'm sure, but none of us probably are aware of it, but completely makes sense. And I was out last night, and I did see the moon as it was getting ready to hit the the final. It it was an amazing moon last night, I will have to say. One of those mystical, beautiful things that just hang there, and especially at the end of the year, that you just sort of know that it has its own sort of aura about it. There's there's something magical going on underneath this moon. That's definitely the moon I saw last night. So uh, tonight might be a nice step out. Yeah, we're going to have to talk some next week about our end of the year show because it's not just the end of the year it's the end of the decade 
Yeah. Oh, wow. That'll be, we should, that should be interesting for us to talk about because I think this decade, particularly in the HR technology space, has been a wild one. Definitely a wild one. There have been not only, you know, in the broader technology sense, but in the HR technology sense, we've completely remapped how we think about work in the last 10 years, right? You know, I think that's true of people who think about stuff like that. I'm not sure that's true about how work goes. So that's an interesting thing to try to pick apart. I'm increasingly interested in understanding the difference between how analysts see the world and what's actually going on. You know, and we we act like the new shiny toys. Everybody gets the brand new shiny toys every year for Christmas. But the truth is people hang on to their HR systems for more than a decade and so so while we see the changes it's interesting and you are the actual world's expert on the question of how has it changed did you know that well i being called an expert i think is always a humbling thing but i will say that i i can tell you on average most people keep their payroll solutions for 11 years so you are correct 11 somewhere in more than half the organizations that are listening to us they have probably had a query HRMS and a payroll system and possibly even a time management clock system that has been in place for longer than the decade right so yeah not a very true statement that you're saying yeah yeah and why would you change that stuff out if you didn't have to right and so the actual market moves a lot slower than the people at the front end of the market that's the interesting thing and trying to figure out how to express that is i think that's part of a project that you're working on isn't it the book it is yeah so i'm in the middle of writing a book about the hr technology environment what it looked like and how people make sense of it for their organizations and their environments. And yeah, a lot of the conversation is about the fact that the emerging technologies are not the ones that most organizations are working with every day inside their companies, right? We love to talk about them. They are important to be aware of. They're important to understand in the new direction that we're heading. But so much of what organizations are dealing with are decades-old technology. And you have to also understand that as well. And you also have to understand what your business is trying to achieve to make decisions about your HR technology. So yeah, that's that's the heart of the book that I'm writing. Yeah, well, so you might want to talk to the folks at iSIMS. I had a very interesting time with iSIMS a couple of weeks ago, and their head of technology spent a long time talking about the fact that they don't want to be a technology company. They want to be a customer value first company, and they're happy to let other people invent new stuff. And it's the first time I've heard somebody in the tech space say something like that. But I think it's kind of a, it's a reassuring story to tell when so much is changing so fast that your vendor is going to take care of you and insulate you from the new stuff rather than bury you in it. Yeah. And meanwhile, and it's a- meanwhile most, most of the people we know are busy trying to catch the latest wave. Yeah. We were just so, talking about how powerful the idea of simplification is, right? And simplification may be the wrong term based off of what we're talking about. But, you know, your idea of insulation and giving us breathing space so that we can do our work and do the jobs where, where we need to get done versus being constant technology educators and learners, that's a powerful place for some organizations to sit right now, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, the stuff about experience I don't know if you've noticed this, but nobody talks about engagement anymore and everybody talks about experience. And from what I can tell, experience means the software is too complicated, so we're going to whittle it down to what you actually need. 
<laughs> I'm not completely sure that's the exact definition, but I will say it is, is, is definitely in the right ballpark, maybe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, so you lay a template over the existing software infrastructure and limit choice to the things that matter. Yeah. And that creates that creates a persona-based experience. Well, that's a form of simplification, yeah? Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's a form of focus, um, yeah. And the problem is that the array of things that you can do with HR technology are vast. You know, in my, in my standard orientation to the industry, I start with a chart that shows 75 discrete silos of HR technology. And when I brief that slide, I go, you know, there's 75 silos of HR technology on the slide because that's all I could fit on the slide. The real number is close to, closer to 140 or 150 discrete pieces of functionality that one assembles into a universe of maybe 30 to make a specific company do what it wants to do. But because companies are so different, you've got this array of ingredients that you can use, and you only use some of the ingredients some of the time in your particular company. And I would agree with you. I think that the, the challenge for a lot of HR and HR technologists right now, and this is part of why I started writing the book, because there's a lot of good books out there about technology in and of itself. But I think most of them look at individual areas, right? They don't look at the whole picture. And to do really good simplification, to do really good personalization, you have to know what all of those discrete features and functionalities do, understand how they interact and feed each other, and be able to identify the data that is most relevant to an employee at that one point in time in their work environment at that one point in day and that one point in their personal lives, right? And that takes a really sophisticated cook, right? Uh, we were having a discussion about spice racks, right? The best cooks in the world use the least amount of ingredients, but they know exactly what ingredient to use. Mm-hmm. That means you have to know a lot about everything to do that. that. That's how I see the next generation of HR technologists and HR professionals. They have to understand all the things that are in this market and be able to tailor them very precisely, or the technology will have to do that for them. And, and I'm not sure the answer is there as to who will do it yet. Yeah, I can't imagine a technology that does this. I think that's a lofty goal. You could get that. You could get an automatic configurator for an HR technology suite, but sort of by definition, the HR technology suite is going to be only able to deliver partial solutions across all of the silos. The idea that you could have an automatic configurator for all of HR tech everywhere, that's ambitious, and I can't imagine who'd pay for it. Problems, right? But the practicality is who cares? <laughs> Nobody but that one company in that one role in that one area, right? Exactly, exactly. And so that means that the role of interloper HR consultant slash guru is probably not in jeopardy of being automated anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, I will have to agree with that one. We'll agree on that particular area. Some of the stuff I think that you're talking about, which is that there is no standard starting point, you know, and I've been thinking a lot about this because of the book recently. I do think there are some elements that are that are based across organizations, but I think it's the next step of, of what you're doing that organizations have to really think about personalizing for their individual companies, right? So what do you think the basic set looks like? Well, I think they coalesce around the things you have to do 
for people in your organization. So the basic managerial tasks that happen inside your organization right now, at least, you know, everybody has to pay employees, keep data about employees. Everybody has to manage time within their organization. They have to manage challenge within their organization. And they have to do some reporting on their employees and they have to do some sort of planning, right? Those categories have to have something that is generally helps you do those things. So that, that's how at least I'm categorizing them is around the managerial areas that HR has to be held accountable to. Yep, I think those are good categories, but once you get inside of them, it's the, right, it's almost like a box where you have those categories down one side, and then you have industry, region, size, capital infrastructure across the top, because whether or not the benefits infrastructure is self-financed, if it's a self-insuring company, that matters. Whether or not the workforce is fundamentally hourly or salaried matters. Whether or not safety is the primary issue in the business or creativity is the primary issue in the business is matters, right? And so, so it's, a, it's a complicated grid that's like five rows down and five rows across, and each one of those intersections on the bingo chart ends up with a different expression, I think. It would be interesting to map those out. I think you've just given us a new research project, Josh. <laughs> Say, if you have this and you have this, what do those worlds look like, right? You know, one of the things, there's, there's a lot of stuff that we we'll probably still want to get to today that's in the news, but I think part of the big things that, that we're hearing in the news right now is the idea of how the HR technology businesses are repositioning themselves, which is what you mentioned with ISIM. There is a big conversation happening about, are we a HRMS company, an ERP company, a payroll company? You know, are we an innovative company? Are we a people-focused company? Are we a customer-focused customer company? Definitions and names mean something, and they have an impact on how people see you and how people you know, work within your company. So the way we figure out how to label this stuff is important, but we can't use the label as a box that holds people in. We have to use the labels as a starting point and then sort of move out from there. I think that's the, the changing maybe shift that we're seeing for the next century, possibly. That's right. So what's in the mailbag? Well, it's a busy couple of weeks, considering that we're in the midst of what, at least here in the United States, would be considered a pretty heavy holiday season. We just got back from what is our Thanksgiving here, and other you know, regions are also doing various holidays. But we did get a couple of acquisitions this week. We got Degreed acquiring Adepto. That's probably the most notable one. Adepto is a total talent network, as they call themselves, but but more like a, not quite talent management, more like a career and goals application. I've seen them once before. They're a little bit like Fuel 50, that kind of a tool technology as well, career and talent planning. And so that was a pretty big purchase by Degreed because it puts them in a little bit different place than they've, they've been at previously. We also saw this week Eddie HR. You may not know them. They've only been around for a few years, but they just acquired a payroll HR solution. And of course, they use the language, which means we get to talk about them a little bit longer to become the first true all-in-one HR solution. So we'll we'll talk a little bit about God, they that. Need, they need to hire a market. They need to hire a marketing <laughs> person. Jeez. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Paycom's got some interesting uh, news here. We should really spend a little bit of time, if not this week, next week, on Paycom. Those who, who sort of poo-poo them and say, oh, they're just SMB. Paycom announced that they are enhancing their new learning management system. I don't know enough about that particularly to say whether or not that is something they bought or they are partnering with, but there's some interesting conversation there. Because at the same time as Paycom is making announcements about that, they announced a couple of weeks ago uh, Ask HR and Direct Data Exchange as well for their new product. They're 
their stock jumped 30% in November. And so at the same time as some of these announcements are coming out, I was getting calls from various financial analysts about my thoughts on Paycom. And so I think it would be worth having a conversation there. Workday also announced some changes, not through an announcement, but again, if you watch the financial analysts who track some of this stuff, they rearranged some of their product development leaders. So some names we know, Chief Product Officer Petros Dermetsis is now the new role of EVP of Emerging Technology, Cyan Shekharaborty, and I apologize for messing up your last name because I'm terrible at them, is promoted to the EVP of Technology, and Peter Schlamp is promoted to the EVP of Product Development. So some announcements made there would be worth maybe talking about some money being invested in Tamingo, a European workforce management application. And then if we have time, I don't know that we're going to get the time today, but LinkedIn put out their 2020 emerging jobs report. We got the top, Glassdoor put out their top technology companies to work for, and many HR organizations are on there, and some notable ones are not this year. And Facebook rebuffed, bar in our government rebuffed them saying that they were not going to allow messaging encryption, which has some implications for HR that we may not be thinking about. And last but not least, 10% of meetings workers book are fake, John. Time tracking tools are starting to let companies know where their employees are at, and they're starting to do something with that. Not sure that I would appreciate that kind of information in front of managers, but we're getting it there. So lots of places to talk about. Where would you like to jump in, John? Well, let's just take it from the top and start with degreed acquiring adepto. So Degreed is now going to be some combination of an identity service and a job board. Is that right? And sort of a talent planning career management company, yes. Adepto was founded in 2013, grew pretty rapidly, had gotten a lot of large organizations like Cisco and Atos working with them. And they're focusing on talent and career development is really what they're supposed to be focusing on. And now Degreed is sort of picking them up to go along with their, what they call learning experience platform, but which is basically a tool that helps you figure out what learning elements work best for you and what type of content will fit the direction you want to go as a learner. So these two things do sort of fit together, but it's interesting that they've purchased an organization to do this versus sort of developing this out a little bit more in their own product. So I'd read that as the greed hit a cul-de-sac and they needed to find new meaning in life. This is a six or seven-year-old company, Adepto, and they create relevance for the degreed idea, which was pretty theoretical. So. So that's interesting. And it looks like in the press release, the CEO is quoted, the chief experience officer is chief experience officer, that's a dilemma, is quoted. <laughs> um, but I don't see the guy who founded Degree being quoted in this. So, so that's an interesting thing, too. Well, I, I think, you know, we're, we are starting to see Degree thinking a little bit more broadly about how it becomes a business more than a more than idea, which is exactly, I think, what you were talking about. And to do that, they I think, you know, that's, you know, their new CEO, Chris McCarthy, that's a part of that conversation, right? Yep. So let's move on and talk about Eddie HR, the new first true all-in-one <laughs> HR solution. And so I had to go and look up. I was like, so when did Eddie HR start? So Eddie HR came out in like 2017. I love that they have a little story on their on their site. I will be honest, I have not seen Eddie HR yet. 
the screen grabs they show all look interesting as you know new technology always does they've got this great little thing where they show they can make recommendations about employees they're hiring or they that they're talking about hiring with emojis so they've got a whole emoji tool inside of it which i thought was that you know made me smile a bit but they just pulled themselves together in 2017 started out as most of these organizations do because the founders who were working in in the tech industry found out how hard it was to hire people and run the hr function so they felt they needed to improve on it pulled together the best team they could possibly pull together which was five you know male engineers obviously in a very female dominated industry and then launched what is eddie hr and then it looks like they are now after getting into applicant tracking systems getting into job requirements moving into a little bit of talent management hit the and corey hrms hit the area of payroll and realized how hard it might be <laughs> and so they acquired a payroll system as most of these organizations do since 2017, they've been building out this application. And now, without performance management, without time and attendance, they feel like they are the most complete HR technology in the market, right? All in one HR solution. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, it, it was that line yeah, line yeah, made me just yeah, get well, at them. You know, I, I don't want to be too hard on them, but differentiation is important in the marketplace and claiming to be what everybody else claims to be years after they started claiming it doesn't help a business grow. But let's move on to Paycom. Now, Paycom, now this is one that probably could actually make some of that statement and very subtle and very quiet about how they're growing. Paycom went public in 2014, and they went from a $150 million organization to a $566 million organization with stocks that just steadily grew, but had not grown rapidly in the last couple of quarters. And so they announced that they were launching a new learning management system as part of their, they had had some elements of talent management, but it had been pretty light previously. But they launched a, a much broader LMS component within their, their software that will do for their audience, which is mid-SMBs, basically all of their 23,000 clients are smaller than 1,000 employees. They basically have created a content creation and change management tool, an onboarding tool, and uh, a learning sort of recommendation tool, which I was pretty surprised. These are some pretty sophisticated things for an SMB market payroll solution, which has continued to expand every year just quietly and not making a lot of fuss in the market. So I would recommend watching them. That's my thing on it. Yep. Well, they're amazing, I think. So let's keep our eye on them. And who's next in the queue? Paycom, we go to Workday is shuffling the deck chairs on the Titanic. Titanic's a little harsh. I actually think that this is a good thing for them. I think they needed to expand what they're doing in their product area. So they are revealing their chief product officer, uh, Petros, uh, is going to assume the new role of EVP of emerging technology. So that is shifting a little bit. And then you're going to see Cyan, who will be promoted to EVP of technology, and Peter Schlapp, who came from the data analytics side of things, will now be the new EVP of product development overall. So they're, I think, broadening what they're doing. I'm assuming we'll also see a lot more being added to their product development teams as well. And the two, Diane and Peter, will lead the product and technology organization taking on many of Petros's previous responsibilities. So I don't know. I mean, I think this is a good thing for them. But what do you, what do you think, John? Well, so I wish I understood. It's interesting. I've spent a lot of time listening to Workday tell me about itself, and I still don't understand how the interior organization operates. 
And so the best way that you could read this in filing is that Petros is off to run their R&D laboratories and that they're betting the future on him and that the duo of Cyan and Peter are moving in to take, take over his job. So it's one person leaves and it requires two people to take the work. But the other way that you could read it is you promote up if you don't want to admit failure in public. And so it's not clear which of those things is happening here. I will tell you that Workday has managed to retain this sort of mystery about how they operate inside the shop itself. And that's, I think, starting to hurt them. You know, they're, they're suffering sort of post-honeymoon reputation damage these days as they go through the growing pains of fully realizing their role as an enterprise software provider. So a lot of what they're dealing with are symptoms of success, but it requires deep cultural change to make the transition that they're faced in the marketplace. And so, so maybe this is part of that. And I'm not positive about how to read it, but I wouldn't necessarily read it as a rosy thing. For me, and, and from where I'm, I'm sitting, and, and I understand your perspective on it, and I do think there are a lot of conversations to be had about sort of the direction that Workday is heading both in their product development, but also as a, as a cultural conversation. But my sense is, is that as organizations grow and, and change, and we're seeing an organization that you noted that has been very successful, but has hit some walls, they have to rethink sort of how they position the various roles within the organization and understanding a little bit more about the base as a whole. I think it'll be interesting to see how Cyan and Peter shift the thinking a little bit. Peter definitely comes from an analytics background, which is as a big part of, I think, of the positioning that we saw at the Workday Rising event, is that that'll be at the heart of where we're seeing the market head for Workday. And so it'll be interesting to see if they're able to sort of wrap all of that together. So, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I like the idea that Workday is more fully embracing analytics at the heart of its HR functionality. That's powerfully important. That's powerfully important and could be a way in which they become a market leader again. I think we're seeing a lot of organizations focused on analytics, but if you make it central um, versus everything is a module and that's a, that's just another module to go along with it, I think those are the big conversations that we're hearing in the market. Is analytics how we run our business or is it just a way that, you know, sort of think about the data and just analyze the data and report on it? And I think there's two thoughts around that in the market. And it'll be interesting to see which one takes the leadership role. Right? Yep. Okay, so we got time for one more. What what do you want to do? One more. Well, I think that if we're going to talk about one more topic, I really want to hit this 10% of meetings workers book are fake. There's a lot of stuff about LinkedIn and top jobs rating. Glassdoor did their thing. Those are interesting, but a lot of people have been talking about those. But I was blown away by, this is just a little research study done by a company called Synergy Sky. Synergy Sky is a meeting technology provider that basically tracks everybody's meetings and what rooms they're using and whether or not the employees are actually in those rooms once they schedule them. And it revealed that 10% of workers are regularly booking fake meetings into the diary to keep colleagues thinking, at least this is their perception of that, keep colleagues thinking they are busier than they really 
are. And then the whole story goes on to talk about how employees are wasting time and maybe they're off at the coffee shop and, you know, if they're in all these fake meetings, what are 30% of them doing with them and why? And some of them are multiple people. I was blown away by this conversation, John. This came out of a UK-based magazine. It was in the European market where they were having these conversations. But this is the worst fear and the worst use case of technology. But it's we're seeing it well, happen well, hang, over hang again. On, hang on. This idea that there's something wrong with booking time on your calendar and calling it a meeting so that you can actually get work done <laughs> is a problem? Yeah. <laughs> That's, you know, no, so we were talking about somebody earlier in the conversation who needed the marketing department. These people's yeah. marketing department need, need a lesson in having a conscience. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the trend to emphasize collaboration has resulted in, you know, I know people in companies where if you don't have six conference calls, hour-long conference calls on your calendar every day, you're not working. And in an environment like that, you've got to be able to protect yourself somehow, right? And so the idea that because people aren't using the software the way that the vendor thinks the software should be used, that those people are stealing, right? That's what this is saying. That's synergy sky ought to be punished. I hope they're publicly traded and I hope their stock price falls because this is BS. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes to defend yourself, you have to book, you know, so I publish a public calendar on Calendly. And the way that you manage the public calendar is you block off time on your calendar so the people can't schedule in. That's what you do. And rather than it being something bad, it's probably something that you want to encourage. And so calling it fake, it's like, oh, that's a dog whistle, isn't it? Yeah. So anyhow, I have a, a sort of a mild opinion about this one. <laughs> I want to say it, it hit me on all the wrong levels as well. But, you know, the last sentence of that said, our system synergy of things does not actually flag this potentially suspicious behavior to account administrators due to privacy concerns some workers might have. Our systems are built to monitor efficient usage of business facilities and equipment with the goal of allowing employers to better optimize the extremely expensive real estate that is provided expressly for meetings. But at the end of the day, Somebody has that aggregate data, and managers have to make decisions about what to do with that aggregate data, right? And that's the scary part of this, is if the company who owns the technology that's tracking the information doesn't understand how dangerous and what they're saying could be wrong, how do we expect the manager who's given that aggregate information to read that information and do something valuable with it? That's the really conversation here. What does management do with this data, even if it's at an aggregate level? So I am getting pretty worked up these days about the fact that every HR department and every HR vendor needs a clear and coherent statement of ethics that covers issues just like this. The fact that nobody's thinking about it right now is frightening. It's frightening. And so there's some hard work to be done thinking about the data that you have and what you're going to use it for and how you expect people to interact with the intelligence that's being embedded in your systems. And it's time to start working on the problem. It's really time to start working on the problem. So thanks for calling this out. It's been a great conversation. Very good conversation. And, and we'll be back next week. And next week, we'll give some updates on what our plans are for our New Year conversation that will be taking place in the first of the year. So. It'll be a, a black tie only, end of the decade gala oh. by invitation only. What do you say? 
Sounds good to me. I'll bring the champagne. You bring the party poppers. We're going to have a full event, John. <laughs> okay. Thanks for doing this again, Stacey. And thanks, everybody, for listening in. You've been listening to HR Tech Weekly, one step closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumpter. See you next week. Bye-bye now. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.